Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Face to face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So today's podcast is with a guy by the name of Jared Bias. I met him through another interview that I did a while back with a guy by the name of Peter Enns, who has his own website and writes a blog and wrote a book uh, called The Bible Tells Me So. Um, this is Peter Enns, who introduced me to Jared and said, David, you got to meet this guy. This guy, Jared, uh, you're going to love this 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 interview. you got to stay tuned. you got to listen in. So much we got into. We talked about religion and we talked about evolution and Genesis for normal people. We talked about uh, Nietzsche and Gilles Deleuze, uh, uh, some, some, I guess you could call them post, post-modern thinkers, I suppose. I uh, hope that's okay with you, Jared. And, and we talked about uh, relationships and about education for him being the two connecting points to pretty much everything he does. And uh, I think it probably affects how he parents and, 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 and how he consults. He's a leadership consultant, and he's working in a very sort of niche market, it seems to me, with, with family businesses. So Jared's a, a super cool guy. He's got a lot, uh, a lot to offer. You're going to love this interview. So uh, 
it ends rather abruptly. So we're, we're going to do a part two, but I'd realized we'd hit about the 45 minute mark and we needed to wrap things up. So, uh, check out the, the podcast. It's got a lot from Tiff, uh, online, davidpecklive.com. And don't forget uh, to pick up your copy of real change is incremental. Well, welcome to Face to Face. It is a beautiful sunny day here just outside of Toronto and we've got a very special guest with us today. Jared Bias is joining us from, where the heck are you joining us from, Jared? Uh, well, I, I often just say uh, north of Philadelphia because no. then I get, it, it sounds like Philadelphia when really it's not. It sounds pretty lofty place, like exactly. a, it's, you know, exactly. it's just north of suburbs, something like that. Well, anyway, listen, thank you for joining us today. Um, you are a really interesting guy as I read your bio, as I do a little bit of research uh, on you on online. You've, you've, you've taught philosophy, a, a professor. You were a teaching pastor uh, for many, over a decade, I think. You've taught in philosophy, ethics, biblical studies. You've written a book with Peter Ends called uh, Genesis for Normal People, which when I saw that made me laugh out loud. Um, and now you're kind of a leadership consultant. Is mm-hmm. that, is that, yeah. So, so you're a pretty well-rounded guy. How, how, how do you stay sane? How do I stay yeah. sane? Large quantities um, of Russian vodka? Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, um, <laughs> no, small quantities. Small of quantities. Vodka. Um, you know, I don't want to overdo it. But That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, um, honestly, I think kind of uh, what's kept me sane is being able to jump from thing to thing. Um, I've, I learned the hard way that I'm a generalist. Um, hmm. it, it may not sound like that as you kind of jumped to some of those things I've, I've done that doesn't sound like a generalist thing, but what I learned about myself is uh, I, get, I get bored um, pretty quickly in a certain area. Um, and so voracious in terms of consuming information. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and once we get to the nitpicky sort of details of a certain field, I realize um, I don't do well with that. And I learned that um, in, a, in kind of a THM, PhD program um, when I, they told me the requirements and I said, are you kidding me? Like I have to spend how much time on what like particular small nuanced part of Second Samuel? Um, and eventually ended up quitting that program. And my, my wife jokes and says that's um, probably her proudest moment of me is when I quit that program. <laughs> it's a pretty funny thing to be proud of. <laughs> that's awesome. And and so uh, so what was it about it? Was it just is it just the minutia that you get bored with, or is it? Right. Well, I think the main thing is that I'm most passionate in my most earnest moments about people and about being helpful. Hmm. And the more I sat in an office with dozens of books around me and realized that at the end of this, maybe four people are going to read this, um, it became clear to me that, that that doesn't light my fire. I wasn't excited about that. And so my vision for myself after that was to say, how can I um, partner up with really brilliant people and make an impact um, in, in a larger audience? And that's really the culmination of that was being able to partner with my friend Pete on uh, Genesis for Normal People is exactly the vision I had when I when I sat down in that office and, and decided to quit that program. So, um, so, so it really worked well. So before I ask you what Pray Tell DVFBC is, um, would you call yourself religious? Are you a Christian? Are you a Protestant? Where where do you land? Yeah, I would absolutely say I'm a Christian. Um, I would venture even to say, uh, go far so far as to say, uh, I'm an evangelical Christian, 
though my, my caveat always is that most of my friends who identify as evangelical and some of them who identify as Christian might not agree with me on that. Right. Um, so we'll have to leave that up for debate. Um, but for me, uh, I would identify for myself as a Christian and as an evangelical Christian, and I, I take pride in that as part of my identity as, as much as I also cringe at it sometimes. Right. Right. Is that, is that sort of how you and, uh, so Peter, so, so, so tell me a little bit about Peter Enns. He, he and I spoke recently on a radio show. He's written mm-hmm. a book called The Bible Tells Me So. He's got a new book coming out soon called The Sin of Certainty, which sounds right. great. Um, tell me a little bit about that relationship, and then I want to get to your crazy acronym. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Pete, so Pete was my uh, professor of mine when I was at Westminster, ah. um, and he was he really intimidated me i didn't i don't think i ever talked to him when i was in the program um he he scared me and so <laughs> uh but then somehow we connected i was a pastor um, we live pete and i live about 10 minutes down the road from each other and when i was a pastor after i'd graduated and and uh was teaching contacted me and said hey i'm looking for kind of gigs and want to talk about the bible and i want to do it in churches and um so we, um, I brought him into um, our congregation and had him teach on Exodus. He had written the the NIVAC commentary on, on Exodus, and we were going through Exodus, so it was a perfect matchup. And uh, and his experience at Westminster was was similar to my experience at the congregation where I was serving at the time. And so he and I just really hit it off. I don't know his side of the story, but I really um, connected with his story. He was six months ahead of me in this journey of, you know, kind of the wilderness journey mm-hmm. of being outed by an organization that you really loved and had committed yourself to for quite some time and, and starting to feel like an outsider right. in. Um, and so just, you know, he gave me kind of a way forward and, and uh, you know, we met for coffee often. And and so that's kind of how that, that connection happened. And then um, I ended up moving to Arizona to teach and then um, – the opportunity came up with Genesis, and he asked if I would consider it, and I was absolutely um, in love with the idea of it, and so um, went from there, and that just helped, you know, solidify the friendship with thousands and thousands of edits and emails and all of that, so uh, just really grateful for Pete and, and how he's, I feel like he's invested in me. And, and now, and, and, you're, and you're writing for his, uh, his blog? Yeah, and now I write weekly um, for PeteEnds.com, yep. Cool. Neat. So, so before we get into Genesis for normal people, I actually want to talk about the abnormal people. Um, okay. Uh, partially, uh, I'm sure we'll have to talk about both. But t- t- tell me about the the consulting firm that you work with, because I I, I I mean I'm starting to see the threads. That's for sure. I'm sure you've looked back uh, to see the connecting points and the dots and so on. But but tell me tell me what it stands for, and then uh, you're into business education. But what does that mean? Right. So I currently work um, as, a, as an advisor, a business advisor for Delaware Valley Family Business Center. And so the, the connecting dot really is um, 2011 to 2015, um, I had started another company in, um, in marketing and communications. And so uh, a partner and I, we were, we were communications consultants, and then we had a creative team who did a lot of designing and development work, web design, web development. And and so that where my passion for um, kind of the nuts and bolts of organizational development and leadership just they were there they were latent um, as I was a pastor and a, as a professor and this business was really just a playground for me to develop mm-hmm. and to 
explore all of that, where I felt like um, at the university and at the church, as you might know, organizationally, they're about the hardest things to um, penetrate. And so in terms of leadership or change or experimentation, um, so I felt like, you know, looking back, I was trying to bring those things as a pastor, trying to bring that as a professor, and I, I kept hitting walls. Mm. And so the business world was a breath, uh, just a breath of fresh air for me to be able to explore and say, hey, I tried this, and mm-hmm. no one was there to sort of slap my hand or say, this isn't how we do it, or, um, you know, kind of bringing doomsday proclamations of if we do it differently. And so I was I was kind of addicted to that freedom. Right. And, and so we, we, we grew that company, which led us, uh, my family and I, to moving back to the East Coast. and Somewhere um, north of Philadelphia. Yeah, actually to Virginia. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we moved around quite a bit. And um, so that's where that connected. And then it got to be um, a, little bit, a little bit too much for me. Um, I have four little kids at home, mm. a lot of travel involved mm. with that. Um, a lot to my business partner uh, left and, and went to do something else. So I was in charge of, of everything. And it just got to be a little overwhelming for me. And um, I wasn't being able to be at home like I wanted. So I was offered a, a position here at Delaware Valley Family Business Center. And the unique thing there is it ties together in some, you know, almost more perfectly than I could imagine the three areas of my past in terms of education, in terms of um, pastoral ministry, and then business. So are you working Are you working mostly with individuals or with, with family businesses? I almost exclusively with family businesses and working with um, the owners of those businesses and doing, you know, management development, uh, team development, leadership development, um, facilitating meetings amongst partners mm. to help mm. them come to alignment. Um, and it's, it's just great for me because it's a third education and it's a third relationships and really helping them mm. um, address some of the, the latent things that they aren't going to really want to talk about. Um, and then the, the business aspect as well. Jared, do you ever find as a consultant that um, you're being paid to be dishonest? Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, so um, I don't really want to hear the truth. I just want you to validate what I'm currently doing and tell this guy across the table from me that he's got to agree with me and sign on the dotted line. Right, yeah, so it's actually got, it's funny, I just had a conversation with a colleague about that the other day. That's gotten me in trouble in more ways than, uh, more than one time. I'm convinced I've lost contracts over it. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely convinced that people do not want to hear, or at least they don't want to, they don't want to know, they don't want to see the, um, hmm. they're not interested in my insight uh, through my lens because it might just be a little too, they would say harsh, I would say, uh, clear. <laughs> right, right. Well, the, I, maybe maybe where my philosophy background really helps here is, you know, I try to, um, I love, I think it's Emily Dickinson who says, tell the truth, but tell it slant. Yeah, tell it slant. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's my, I lead with questions. So I almost never want to give my insight. I almost want to back them into the insight on their own accord. So um, as often as I can lead with questions that get them to where I think they should go, that's always the challenge for me. That's the puzzle for me of every mm-hmm. of every mm-hmm. case. So yeah, I do, and I've gotten into trouble um, with basically clients thinking that I'm I'm sort of their guy um, right. rather than their brother or their sister, whoever else it is. And and you know, I always have to say, I'm not sure who you think my client is, but my client is your business, right. the whole thing, the whole system. 
Um, it's not you. It's not your brother. It's not your parents. Um, and so that does get me in trouble yeah. sometimes for sure. So tell me, so you're a consultant, you've taught, you're a professor, you've clearly uh, very well read, you're into education, so two things I'm picking up, education and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, seem to be a real thing for you, which I think is really cool. Uh, I think I think I think I can say the same. I think I, uh, um, I'm I'm actually. It's interesting what you say about the PhD because I'm I'm actually meeting on Wednesday for the fourth time with a potential advisor to consider doing a PhD in ethics. Um, oh, right, and, ethics, and huh? Ethics, yeah. My background's philosophy, so so yeah. So there's a lot of similarities there, and I just mm-hmm. sort of went to sitting in this horrible postmodernist gas chamber of a building in a room with a bunch of books and you know how you said I just had this moment and realized hey this isn't really for me four people are going to read this thing so it's just kind of uh maybe a little bit frightening uh hearing you say it quite the way you've said it but but I think I find your past really um really quite quite fascinating it's not just eclectic by the sounds of it for the sake of it if you know what I mean Jared there is a Mm -hmm. there is a bigger picture here um, and I'm wondering uh, if it has to do with this, I don't know, would you call it a reformation in, in Christianity? Would you, would you call it some sort of a theological, uh, um, um, just the- theological innovations that are occurring? You know, you've got people writing, you know, Peter and Derek Flood. I mean, there's so much kind of going on right now, Rachel Held Evans and so on. I was reading uh, in a journal uh, sorry for bringing up my academic side here this morning, but I was reading in a journal a couple of days ago about how when the Impressionists came out in, in, in the late 1800s, 1874, there was a, um, uh, where's, I'm just going to find it, his name is Louis, Louis Leroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, an art critic for the weekly uh, the weekly paper in Paris, you know. We're talking about Monet and, and Degas and Renoir and Monet and mm-hmm. Cezanne and so on, and he's, he, he actually refers to their work as being outrageous. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so I'm wondering, uh, having not read Genesis for Normal People, but having read Peter and Derek and McLaren and so many uh, of... Uh, you know, I guess you could say this generation of new thinkers in evangelical Christianity is it is that is there a, is there a shift occurring like that 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 we're going to look back on that people are calling outrageous today and a hundred years from now people are going to go abracada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the short answer is yes. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, you know how innovative um, it is, is is probably kind of relative, but mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I, I guess my my fear is not the innovation, but what happens after the innovation, mm. where there's sort of this settling down back into clicks. I mm. think that just seems to be sort of there's an innovation and then there's a stop. Like, um, you know, in, with companies and, and anyone uh, I've seen, they, they have one or two innovations in them, and then they revert back to a way of being in the world that's not really open to that anymore. And a lot of that is, you know, social socialization and and the pressure of, you know, uh, you see it with Emergent, um, and I love a lot of the, the guys who started Emergent, and um, but you see this kind of innovation, and then they get a tribe, and then it kind of uh, crystallizes mm-hmm. or becomes calcified, and then, you, do, you know, what do you want to, how do you, how do you keep from that happening? And so, you know, for me, I love that you use the word outrageous, um, uh, because I think that's where I I find home for me. Mm. It's always 
always on that the margin hmm. theologically hmm. of the outrageous. And um, probably the most influential philosopher for me is uh, Gilles Deleuze. Hmm. Wow. Um, okay. And so I really like um, I love reading Deleuze and the the imagination he provides for me in how we how we continue to um, be pioneers and continue to be pushing the bounds. Um, and so, I, you know, that's how I would answer that. Is, is there an innovation? Yes. I think my fear is um, within a framework of still sort of this absolutism or um, theological objectivity, you innovate, but you innovate it because you think you got it right. Right. Right, so it's just another, it's just sort of another form of reductionism on another, it's like on the other side of the coin, as, as it were. Right, exactly. So it's still in the same system or framework, and that, that frustrates, you know, that frustrates me. Um, I'd rather say, how's, what's a better way of being in the world where we're just okay being in the desert, um, that God is in the desert, God's, you know, not uh, in the, the establishment of Israel, God's not in the establishment of Egypt, um, while those have their pros and cons, but what does it mean to just stay in the desert and be looking for, um, you know, different lines of flight, as Deleuze might say? Yeah, so there's almost like a faith in 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 the chaos of the average in the everyday. Right, right, absolutely. I love that phrase. Do you still think that? Um, hmm. I was going to say Christianity, but I think we can say pretty much religions across the board. Uh, I've just come back from Cambodia uh, and, mm-hmm. and was a part of a very intimate Buddhist ceremony in a pagoda uh, outside of Siem Reap. I mean, talk about a privilege and a blessing to really be a part of this. And we actually were able to film some of it as well, which on, on a certain level was was offensive to me. Uh, and yet the, 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 the high-level monk was totally okay with it. And so at one point I, I just went and I, got, I grabbed our guy, Sean, and I said, okay, listen, we got to go. I, I, I can't stand here and work with you on this any longer. And, and he actually thanked me later because oh, he, wow. yeah, Sean says, he, because he felt, he felt too like we had crossed the line. Mm. And so I, and, 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 and yet we had permission. So, so it's not right. like we just sort of barged in there, these two white young guys with, uh, well, not so young, but with a camera and just assumed <laughs> that we could film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Anyway, I guess, uh, you know, coming out of that and seeing some of the, the foundationalism there, the, the, the inability to, to budge and to move and the, almost the anti-relational edge. I mean, is that, is, do you think that's kind of a fault of, of religion across the board, this absolutism, this, this, this uh, I don't know, Cartesian kind of look at the world that says things are this way, and now it's time to move on. So we've right. got the answer. <laughs> two plus two equals four. Let's move on to something else. That's already done. Finished. Right, yeah. I mean, I see the same. I, I wouldn't say it's religion because, you know, a lot of the conversation in some of the, um, you know, circles where I, I'm conversant, it, it's also a scientism. Yeah, sure. You can swing that way within that as well. So that makes me want to push it under that sort of ideological level and talk about it even biologically or sociologically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's human. I don't want to say human nature. I, I like try to avoid that phrase. Yeah, but, me too. Um, I think there's something about how we operate as a culture and societies, um, even globally. I think there's something under it, and I think religion is a good way that our fears and insecurities and our way of being um, it gets uh, it gets formed, and, and that's how you know in religions there's it manifests there, just as it manifests in in science, um, it manifests everywhere. But I think it's 
those are symptomatic of other things. You know, you're you're absolutely right. It really does manifest everywhere, doesn't it? It's not it's it's easy to 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 throw stones at the religious leaders right. of the day right. exactly. and old sacred texts and so on. Right. But hang on a minute. It's 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 pretty much across the board. Right. And you know, one of the I think one of the fortunate things about me being in business the last 5 years, I get to see these things operate outside of such a heated context. Um you know, it's very easy to sort of generalize religion or science, good, bad. But when we're talking and dealing with, you know, businesses and relationships and you see the same patterns, um, it just gives you a little more grace for all those ideologies and systems. It's so easy for us to blame those rather than looking more inwardly at ourselves, but also just in our relationships and psychologically and how we, you know, how we need oftentimes to defend against the harsh realities of life and how we cope. And mm. um, I think those are all worthwhile pursuits more than finger pointing at scientism, more than finger pointing at religion. It's, it's looking at those and saying, what are those symptoms of and how do we address those in our local communities, in myself, in my family? Those are m- more interesting questions to me than uh, the ideology for me needs to point to something else for it to be interesting. I guess there's a sense in which the it's not so much a problem with religion. It, I mean, it really is a philosophical problem in a sense, isn't it? It's a, it is a part of being human. It's not genetic or, right, or driven right. by our DNA necessarily, but it does seem to be a part of who we are. We 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 acquiesce. We tend towards the answer, the solution, the narrative mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. wrap up at the end of the two and a half hour film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And. You know, how much of that is a product of of our Western thought? I love that you brought in sort of a Buddhist experience from the East. Um, That may be, I I do think the East, my dad um, lived in Thailand in a a village um, near Aranyaprathet there. And uh, his experiences, you know, very Buddhist village, helped me um, in his stories talking through how the Eastern mind can really, I think, uh, help some of our Western dogmatism, mm-hmm. where we don't even see it. We, we, it's, the, it's the air we breathe, mm-hmm. um, the water we swim in, and we don't understand. There's a different way of conceiving of the world and our relationship to it that uh, we didn't even know was possible. So, um, yeah, I'm a big proponent of possibilities. And I think hmm. for me, you know, the phrase, one of my favorite phrases is, with God all things are possible. And I love what um, I've sort of infused that with some Nietzsche and some Deleuze Hmm. Um, and it really is a powerful thing um, to think about, and, and it's powerful in, in the sense that it's frightening, um, but also powerful in the sense that the way things are isn't the way things ha- have to be. It's mm, cool. Is that where your friends no longer call you an evangelical when you start taking phrases <laughs> like that and throwing in a little <laughs> Nietzsche and a little Deleuze? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Maybe a little Slavo Zizek along the way? Is that yeah, uh, a, little, a little Zizek. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. I'd say that's precisely <laughs> where uh, where I get myself into trouble a little bit. Um, but I'm kind of okay with that trouble. Yeah, no, I bet you are. Well, I mean, you, you know, you ma- the comment you made about sort of standing on the the edges, sort of theologically. Um, d- d- I love the. I'm a big proponent of possibilities. You could make. You could probably make a lot of money uh, selling that T-shirt. Um, talk to me a bit more about that. Well, one of the things. Um, when I taught when I taught philosophy, um, I taught ethics, and um, one of the exercises we 
we had talked about was we had, we talked a lot about Sartre, um, Jean-Paul Sartre, and how he was sort of trying to deconstruct, um, to use an overused word, mm-hmm. um, the idea that we uh, have a specific nature, we're largely determined, um, and talking about the possibilities of what it means to sort of break out of that and think about the choices we have. How do we take responsibility for our choices? Right. Um, and responsibility for our freedom. And so we would do this really practically with my students where we would go through their day and we would talk about the choices they felt like they didn't have. Um, and we just kept digging into that until they realized, oh, so my choice was um, instead of you know, telling my friend I can't go have dinner with you because I have a lot of homework, that's actually not true. Um, the reality is I could do that, but I don't want to live with the consequences. Or right. the, some of the reality is I don't want to be honest with my friend and say, I just don't want to hang out with you. Yeah. Like, what would it look like for that possibility yeah, sure. to have an intimate relationship where we're not making excuses and throwing the get-out-of-jail-free card to talk about Monopoly a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, of I'm busy. That's a catch-all that keeps us dishonest, and there's something that's enslaving about that dishonesty. So for me, possibilities isn't abstract. It's very concrete around our everyday relationships. Um, So there's that. And then the other side um, I talked about with our students was, uh, you know, a lot of times with athletes, you see the, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians, you know, 4.13 is on their cleats or their shirt. Um, And so my joke often is, oh, so I can do all things. That means you could lose too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so oftentimes we cut off half of the possibilities mm-hmm. in our theology that somehow only the good things, when we say all things are possible with God, we kind of slip in there a caveat that says, well, I mean, only the good things. Right, right. But what would it be to to broaden the idea of the sovereignty of God or that God's in control of all things to this sort of terrifying place of, yeah, with God all things are possible, do you really want to go there? Um, that's a that's a lot of freedom. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of um, negative. Yeah, you want there without a doubt. You're you're. I mean, you've just really given us a, a quick course in modern existentialism. It seems to me, right? Yeah. Right. You know, freedom, right. freedom, choice, responsibility. Now, what the hell are you going to do with it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, where does God fit in that? Is is I think an important question. I think I'm less interested in that a lot of times and more interested in um, how we, our words and our language as evangelicals betray our theological commitment. Mm. That Mm. we say one thing, we really mean something else. Um, And how can we be more, to throw out the fourth modern existential buzzword, how can we be more authentic in in our existence? So. Well, I mean, it's it's really interesting. So, so, so I wanted to go down that you know you you use the phrase and there's something enslaving about that kind of dishonesty. And immediately, I, th- I thought of the word authenticity. And one of my favorite uh, uh, French philosophers is Levinas, who who talks a lot mm-hmm. about the about the other and about ethics kind of coming out of our our you know not only our responsibility towards the other, but I guess our recognition of the other as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, most of my listeners will have heard me. Uh, 
talk about about this idea of ethics being grounded in the face. You know, the mm-hmm. face speaks, and the face speaks. He says, and what it says is, "Thou shalt not kill," uh, which is a profound statement for for this guy who lost his family in Auschwitz. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he he opens totality and infinity up by saying, "All religion, all philosophies failed." So so. It's for me, I think, going to be one of those thoughts that I will continue to reflect on for the rest of my life. And I think that's where I'm heading with my PhD in relation to trust and ethics and so on. Hmm. I'm throwing it all in there because I think between what you're saying and what a little bit of what I'm saying here, this idea of authenticity, I think, is sorely lacking from, frankly, being human. Hmm. I think it's lacking from the corporate world. It's lacking in, in the nonprofit sector. It's lacking in politics. I mean, we just had a, a massive uh, uh, landslide victory for the liberals here in, in Canada because of the, Justin Trudeau. He's he's young and, I mean, mm-hmm. starting to read some of the critics, and it looks like it, it it's tied to authenticity, or at least, Jared, an apparent authenticity. And right. he says, we, we want real change. We, we, we need to listen, not like Prime Minister Harper did. You know, he, he, he pushed you guys out. I'm, I'm here to embrace. I'm here to include. And I think Canadians really resonated with that. And I think we all do. So why is it so difficult? I don't know what question I'm asking you here, but, but I'm having a great time trying to formulate it. Um, Good. You know, why, why is it so hard to be honest you know, you're saying the guy, you know, you're, you're talking with your students and, and, you know, maybe if they're, you know, you look at it another way, it's really, I actually just don't want to spend time with you tonight. That's why I'm not available for dinner because right. I'd, ra- I'd rather watch a movie or, or reruns of, of, of uh, the Rockford Files right, or, right. or whatever. Why Yeah, I think there's a so lot of tough? influences there, but I would mention, you know, um, I read some articles on the, the Canadian um, political climate there and... I think it's it, it's mirrored in America. You know, I have mm-hmm. a lot of my progressive friends who can't believe that Donald Trump is um, in the running, and and for me, it's it's precisely that. Why wouldn't he be running? <laughs> right. it Which is just again, if we look at like the container oh. of his mm-hmm. ideology, the content of what he's saying is not that important. It's that he's willing to seem foolish. It's that he's willing to speak his mind and be honest. And the same, I think, with. Uh, Bernie Sanders on the other sort of uh, side of the aisle, neither one of them, the content is way less important, I think, right. than the container, uh, their way of being, the way good. that they are communicating, and it's, it is very refreshing, and, and I, I respect Donald Trump for that. Um, I respect Bernie Sanders for that, that they're bringing something fresh um, in the way they're talking. It's not their policies. It is they're bringing something authentic, which there's something to say for do you think it's what we're all looking for? I mean, I think on some level, um, you know, uh, we, people, people resonate. It seems to me, my students, I think resonate with an approach from in the classroom. That's a little more open. That's a little more conversational. Not, not every student. Some students just want to be told what to know. Uh, give me the PowerPoint slides. <laughs> What's on the test. Holy smokes. You, you mean you actually want to talk to me? You want to have a dialogue? Okay. That's a little threatening. Right? Yeah, I had a student once who got up and yelled at me in the middle of class and walked out. And what he yelled at me was, would you please just tell us the blank answer? Oh, he got up and screamed that in the middle of class and walked out. Oh, that's awesome. Well, one of these days it's going to happen to me, I think, too, because <laughs> I, I will not. And uh, I teach in development, and I mean, it's uh, I'm trying to do development while I'm teaching it, if if that makes any sense at all, you know. Yeah. Sort of. Yep. But yep. but uh, wow, that's so. How do you, how did you re, how did you respond to that? 
Well, he walked out, and so I didn't respond really at all. Um, <laughs> I think I did say, if anyone else feels like that, you know, you're free to leave now, so it'll be less awkward if you do. Yeah. Um, so, but afterward, actually, he, he apologized, and he came back, and, and I think that's the, the grace and the patience mm. to realize people... Um, there's a reason where we live out the narrative of other people. There's a reason we feel trapped hmm. and we stay trapped because there's something really safe about living a narrative that we've been taught rather than finding our own way. And and being really gracious and patient with people to realize there you know we we have our idolatries for a reason mm-hmm. and, and it it's not my position nor my responsibility to rip that from people. Um, but to give them something where they can wean themselves off of it, which is often a sense of self, um, a sense of trust, and trust in in God, trust in um, themselves as well. I love Calvin's, you know, he opens up the Institutes with, in order to know God, you have to know yourself. Mm. In order to know yourself, you have to know God. And so those are way more intertwined than I think we give sure. credit for in Christian circles. But um, you know, I think that's, I always want to respond with absolute grace and patience because I know the road is long and mm. it's winding and mm. it's slow. Um, well, you talked about the desert earlier, right? And if, right. if, if right. the desert is more of what we're uh, involved in than the oasis, then it seems to me that that grace is, is not only a defining characteristic of, 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 uh, Christianity, but, but, but essential for, yeah. yep. for relating. Relationships, where, where leaders know. have to be careful, I think, is um, in in taking on the role of being the new narrative for people. Um, you know, so if you think about one of the interesting um, paradoxes of celebrityism in Christianity, is the more and more people want authenticity, the people who are speaking about authenticity are the people who get held up as a celebrity. Hmm. And if you aren't careful, that just becomes the new narrative that right. people take on for themselves. So they're, they're inauthentically heralding authenticity, if that makes sense. Right. And so, you know, I love the phrase, I first heard it from Peter Rollins, I think, but um, the best leader is the one who refuses to lead. And that, that keeps, that stays at the forefront of my mind often is, when people want to foist on you responsibility for their life, you have to be strong enough to resist it and to push it back down. Well, isn't this connected to your idea of possibility? There's this, yeah. this sense of openness. There's this sense of being creative and artistic and and not absolute. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think absolutely, that's funny. <laughs> um, you know, a few years ago, I, um, I was asked to speak at uh, um, Wild Goose, um, festival in, in North Carolina, and that was my topic, was around creativity and possibility. And I think that's that's precisely it, is, is if you're looking for me to be objective and to tell you what the right thing to do is or what way to go, um, I'm, I'm limiting your ability mm. to, mm-hmm. to live out your full potential. Now, what I can do is create structures, help you see, you know, avenues for that and to ask a ton of questions. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the best things I can do is refuse to do that for you. Well, you know what you've just defined is bad parenting. 
say you, more. You just define bad parenting because it seemed to me, or maybe good parenting, but you know, I've got a 10 year old, I've got a seven year old. And it just, as you were talking about that, it, 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 it took me to conversations with Spencer and, and Victoria and how I'm trying to be as honest and open, as authentic as I can be with them within certain, I suppose, yeah. you know, uh, 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 um, hmm respectable frameworks, whatever the heck that means, but, but at the same time, trying to be as open and honest with them and, and asking a ton of questions so they can, can realize themselves, they can figure out the outcome. They can say, holy smokes, this is a possible, this is a possible world. And, yeah, and absolutely. I, and I've got to figure out how to be comfortable in that. And I've got to figure out how to make my own decisions. Cause I think parents do it too much for us. Schools right. do it too much for us. I mean, this is Foucault on, on ideology and schools. And, 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 and this is what I'm trying to break out of when I'm teaching and saying, hang on, mm-hmm. I want to talk about this with you guys. So yeah. sure, we've, yeah. got, we've got a definition here. I, like, I love, I, I do this exercise, Jared, where, uh, you know, let's define sustainable development. And, it, and honestly, we do 75 minutes on sustainable development and I got three whiteboards full. And then I say to the students, okay, now turn with me <laughs> to the OECD's definition of sustainable development. Mm-hmm. And then we put it up on the, and it's the one time I use a PowerPoint slide and a screen in the classroom. And I say, now, which one's better? Mm. And, and the 75 minute conversation, I mean, I think it's case in point. It's, it's right. nuanced, it's subtle, it's perspectival, it's, it's, it's intersubjective, it's relational. It's all those things that the OECD's definition isn't, you know? Right. And, and, and I, I think the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head for me there. It's, uh, I, I love these interviews because I hope, I hope other people do too, but I got to tell you, I learned so much by interviewing uh, brilliant people like yourself. Honestly, it's, it's marvelous. So thanks well, for that. Well, thank you. I, I think the other thing I would add, though, from our perspective as leaders in that is the other thing it is besides intersubjective and all those other wonderful words is it's really hard and it's slow and mm. it's inefficient and it's yeah. painful and it's awkward. <laughs> it's inefficient. Um, Did you say it's inefficient? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I think those are the kind of things we have to also deal with because it's easy to see the positive, but mm-hmm. if we aren't willing to sort of name reality, yeah. that my whole way of seeing the world has to change. I can't be in a hurry yeah. in yeah. my parenting. Yeah. I can't be having to go run. And it gets so practical for me. I can't be running my kids to four activities or five activities each per week and be able to have that kind of patience and space where we can have those conversations. Because I, 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 can't, I can't question you into your own reality if what I need to do is get you to karate. So That's if right. Asking questions, I'll tell you the answer. Get your shoes on. Let's go. Yeah, and then bookending it with ballet. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, how might we as leaders be working on our own selves and our own... It's mm, good way of being in the world that allows for that because often what we need is more space in our yeah, life it's good for those kind of conversations so so how come yeah. so so genesis let's you know as we believe it or not come sort of to, to near the end of the uh the, the oh, wow. interview i know it's crazy we're almost at 40 minutes and i try to I, we're clearly going to have to do part two jared it's um uh genesis for normal people mm-hmm. is uh the subtitle uh, a guide to the most controversial misunderstood an abused book of the Bible, co-written with Peter Enns. It's an e-book by Pethios Press, uh, available mm-hmm. uh, uh, online. And uh, when I when I put up the the, uh, the podcast, I'll put a link to the book and, and so on. Um, why is it is it, why is it Genesis for normal people? 
is is there is there that many abnormal people out there or tell tell me a little bit more about that yeah i mean if we had a dollar for every time someone said but i'm a normal person when we talk about the book um i'm sorry but i'm an abnormal person right so um you know for us it was really uh you know nt wright has a series on the new testament i think the new testament for everyone okay yep um, and so that's kind of what the idea was, and just taking, you know, our own... Oh, having a bit of fun with it, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but no, I think for it's sure. really just... It's, I think the core concept was, you know, there's been a lot of development in biblical research. Um, sure. And yet, other theories on Genesis and origins, um, the ones that get propagated the most tend to be of a, a more conservative or yep. more traditional approach. And if you want to really understand the where biblical scholarship has gone on Genesis in the last 50 years, 100 years, you, you really have to go to the academic sources. There's not a lot of, quote, for normal people resources out there. Right. So that was really our task was, how do we take this scholarship and create a, a book for everyday people that doesn't have to be bogged down in controversy? You know, one of the criticisms we get in the book is, well, you don't, you don't lay out any other um, any other alternatives. Well, yeah, it's, it's a book for normal people. A lot of books on these don't, and that's not the point, because once we do that, we get in this academic dialogue and, yeah, right. and we miss our whole audience. So, um, yeah, so that was our, our primary point for, for that and, and where the normal people part of it came. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, it's, it's an attempt at hopefully, I guess, um, correcting, would you say, maybe this is a, a polarized way of putting it, but correcting some wrongs or some, yeah, um, sorry about I, that. That's a really yeah, no, poor I was way say, of putting Pete, Pete might be, you know, he might answer that differently. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily like the, um, correcting wrongs yeah. and creating alternatives. Yeah, um, good. And, and giving a people a space to say, hey, something didn't sit right with me on how I read Genesis this way. This sits a lot better. Thank you for articulating it in a way I never could. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it, uh, Jared, that so much of this kind of uh, work, this kind of scholarship, having just recently also interviewed Derek Flood, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know some of the stuff that Brian McLaren's done, even some of the stuff that Tony Campbell has recently been thinking about and talking about when it comes to questions of sexuality, when it comes to questions about about these metaphysical questions, which is so ironic to me. But anyway, when it comes to these types of things, we're just, it seems most of us are kind of scared shitless mm-hmm. of where it might go. Yeah, I think that's a, I'm, I'm glad you said it that way because I think it is fear. Um, and again, that's where I'd like, for me, my passion is less about around battling ideologies and more at, um, getting to the heart of why why we care so much. Mm. Um, what needs are being met by me holding on to this ideology? What relationships are at stake if I were to change my mind on these? And I think those, you, you get at those, and then the shifts, um, one way or the other, shifting back and forth and, and being open to possibilities becomes more of a reality. Um, you know, one of the things that... <clears throat> you know what's so weird, Jared? Yeah. When you say it, it just sounds so sane. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So so on paper, uh, propositionally, you go, well, of course I'm open to possibilities. I mean, is aren't we all? You know? And then, but right. when you actually get into the nitty-gritty of it, and it's a conversation over a Christmas dinner, and somebody's going to leave exactly. away offended, exactly. things things change. 
Yeah, that's that. You know, being a pastor, that's what I. You know, we we sometimes had people who talked about controversial things from the pulpit, and and you know, as pastors, we got a lot of the backlash. And sitting over coffees over those hours, I came to realize that the issue is not really ever the issue. Um, hmm. It's the relationships. It's those um, more core things to our humanity around how we relate, how we belong, how do we feel safe? Um, hmm. You know. Um, and being safe, I think, is a big one because of the shift that uh, Rollo May talks about in anxiety that, uh, you know, we're no longer afraid of getting eaten by a lion. Now we're afraid of these more abstract things like not belonging to mm, a social group mm, or mm, losing my mm. job over my views on God or like these things that some are rational, some are irrational. And the anxiety is we don't know which is which, really. Right. And so how do we have concrete conversations and ad- and I think as leaders, we have to have the courage to step into that because it's going to be awkward. We have to lean into the awkward and say, hey, um, and I've done this on several occasions, you're asking me about what happens if you believe in evolution. I mean, I'm sorry, you're asking, is evolution true or not? I think the better question to start with is if you change your mind, what friendships would you lose or what family members would you not get to talk to anymore? Right. Um, because I think that's that's dealing with, more of the foundation, um, and then we can get to whether it's true or not. But we have this obsession with truth, and we think that if we're true, if we're right, it's somehow going to fix our heart or these relationships. And uh, in my experience, that's never been true, no, or never been the case. I love what you said uh, about uh, it's not the content, it's the container. And I mm. think I think that's a really uh, thoughtful and insightful thing to to reflect on further. I think for all of us, because I mean, talk about having an impact on structure and point of view and perspective. And what are the you know checking cleaning those lenses on my glasses, mm-hmm. my 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 philosophical glasses from time to time. You know, what is it that that makes up the container that is David Peck? And, right. and how does that now impact the way I love my wife and my friends and do the work I do overseas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Right, right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I think that for me, the, the final <clears throat> implication for that is if, if there's anything I take pride in, it is considering people all over the ideological spectrum, religiously, politically, as dear, dear friends who I love and would do anything for and and how having them feel the same way about me. And so, you know, some of my closest friends are Southern Baptist pastors, and some are atheists, and some are, you know, um, Emergent Village or, or progressives. Um, uh, and, and that's what I, that's a metric for me of whether I'm, I feel like I'm moving in the right direction with my life. Um, and so I appreciate hearing you say that, because that ties right into the container question is, um, am I being the kind of container, am I being a safe place for, mm. for people mm. um, to bring themselves fully, or am I cutting them off at certain points because I can't handle um, what they're going to bring? So, Jared, thanks for joining us today. So Jared Bias has been with us today on Face to Face. He's the author of Genesis from Normal People with Peter Enns. You can find him all over the internet, frankly. Um, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, Jared Bias, check him out. Uh, he's got his own blog. He's on Peter Enns' uh, website as well. He's a leadership consultant, and by the looks of it, uh, according to uh, Peter Enns, a really awesome guy. <laughs> I think, well, thank I think, you so much, David. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us today.